Well, I guess my first foray into athletics was when I was four years old, and it was a rebellious stance. Um, I wanted to learn to ride a two-wheeled bike without training wheels, and my dad said that he would teach me when I was five. I wasn't five, so I guess I went to the dumpster in our apartment complex and found a bike <laughs> and taught myself how to ride. The face of the field is changing and um, more women, or I think it's an exposure issue mostly, I, women are learning about it and then also realizing that like, we're made for it. That's Janie Hayes. And this is the Bike Pack Canada podcast. Hello from the East Kootenays. This is Tabitha Paul. I'm out here on my first bikepacking trip. I'm out here solo and having some minor technical difficulties, so I've stayed pretty front country. But still having a great time. Want to just say a quick thanks to the Bike Pack Canada podcast. You guys have been a great source of information and inspiration to get out here and sleep in the woods. Thanks a lot, guys. Enjoy your rides. Bye. She won in the Bam Bam contest. So good that you're getting out there and enjoying nature with your new bikepacking rig. Uh, that's awesome. I'm glad that we facilitated that for you. And uh, I hope you have many safe and enjoyable trips to come. That's fantastic. I did it! I finished The Lost Elephant and I am so stoked. So pumped to have finished it. Um, I set I set what I thought were lofty goals. Um, I didn't really attain those goals, but I just kind of went with the flow of it and then just kind of happened the way it happened. And and uh, my main goal, obviously, was just to finish it. And um, I grossly underestimated the terrain that was going to be on this route. It was a it was the culmination of bikepacking. Um, beautiful gravel roads, double tracks grassy flower double tracks and roads and quad tracks and single track and hike a bike i hiked for hours on this route and um it it was amazing tested my limits and i had a really good time um two days 15 hours and some odd minutes um amazing super proud so just wanted to share that with you um i'm really really happy and uh, it's a fantastic route if you want to look it up um, you can find it on Ride with GPS, uh, the Lost Elephant Jumbo. Um, there's also a Dumbo route. Uh, the Lost Elephant uh, official start is at the end of the month. So if you're hearing this before then, which I really hope you are, uh, sign up. And uh, lots of fun groups doing the Dumbo this year. So uh, a lot of people will do that for for just uh, some fun. So yeah, get out there. If you haven't done one, you're going to be surrounded with super experienced people. 
uh, if, you know, if you get with a group and um, just get out there and learn and have a really good time. Um, the summit, the summit is on, it's coming up. So what I'm doing right now is I'm going onto my computer while I'm chatting with you and I'm going to go to Facebook and I'm going to go in the search field. I'm going to type, uh, sorry, bike pack, bike pack Canada. Imagine that it's in my short list. And then I want you to go to that page and then I want you to go to events and under events, you will find some uh, bikepacking races that are going on. Um, their dates and the details are in there. But what is going on that I think everyone's super excited about is the Bike Pack Canada Summit 2019 edition. September 27th at 7 p.m. Um, through to September 29th at 5 p.m. Anyone who's listening to this who is um, maybe new to the sport or just wants to meet a badass bunch of people, I would highly recommend that you go to the Bike Packs Canada Summit. Super good times. You get to listen to uh, people speak on all sorts of different subjects. You know what? Let me read the details for you. Join us for our fourth annual Bike Pack Summit in Canmore. Enjoy daily group rides around our picturesque mountain headquarters, plenty of unique presentations and seminars, an optional overnighter through Kananaskis, a great community with riders of all ages and experiences, swag from our partners, and lots more. More details below. So yeah, I'd highly recommend that you guys look into that and do me a favor and do it and look it up. Um, my experience, the, the summits have uh, kind of changed my life a little bit. I went to one, um, this will be my third one. So I missed the inaugur inaugural one and I went to number two and what a blast. It was just so fun to be around a whole bunch of people are kind of in the same mindset and then um, listening to some of the um, the the talks that uh, I, I saw Mike Dion there uh, Dean Anderson spoke um, it's just always really really good presenters and uh, this year is going to be no exception so get out there and buy a ticket and go to the summit and I will see you there and I will give you a hug because I hug everybody <laughs> so Today, I have a super special podcast for you guys. Um, I connected with Janie Hayes shortly after her Tour Divide uh, escapade, and I really wanted to talk to her about her experience. It sounded like she was super, um, she was really struggling with her uh, mindset on that uh, race. And I really wanted to talk to her about that because I'm, I'm, uh, very curious about the mental side of things. Um, I think physical, obviously physicality is very important, um, you know, to race these events, say lasting, you know, 14 to, or 13 to, to 20 days even is, uh, you need to be, you know, that's, that's a huge accomplishment. Um, you have to be in good shape for that. But I also think to be on the bike for that long, um, mentally is tough. And, uh, Janie Hayes exposes some of her, uh, deep, dark mental secrets about what she was feeling on the, on the tour divide and the conflict she had. And, um, we talk about some other really, really interesting subjects as well. And uh, I really think you're going to enjoy this. So now I present to you, Janie Hayes. Hey Janie, how's it going? Hi, good. How are you? Awesome. Should I be, should I be like this orientation? Uh, whatever works for you. I think I'm, well, I might be locked. Hang on a second. Oh, I'm locked. Pow. There we go. Am I right side up for you or upside down or there sideways? You However you want to be. Okay. <laughs> so what are you up to? What are you up to right now? Uh, I just got back from a run. Nice. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. How about yourself? Are you recovered? I feel pretty good, actually. Um, I, I stupidly uh, finished the race at like a quarter after 12 on Wednesday. Uh-huh. And I went to, I went home, I got into a bathtub, I ate ice cream, I went to bed, and I got up at like uh, 6.15 and I walked to work. Oh, wow. That was a what, mis- do you do for, what, what do you do for work? I'm a shipper receiver. So oh, wow. it's a pretty physical job. Luckily, I didn't have to really do that much that day. Yeah. But yeah, it was a, it was a poor decision because I had five hours sleep. So my wow. uh, mental capacity wasn't... I was a wreck. And then yeah. I have to get compression socks. I tell you what, because I had some, I look, I look, I said to my wife, it's like, look at my pregnant legs. And she goes like, those aren't pregnant legs, honey. Those that's, they're way worse than that. But man, my legs were just huge. Really swollen. They yeah. Were super swollen. And they were fine the whole time. I think just because you're pounding it out, I, yeah. I guess your circulation's going. So it doesn't really collect the, is that lactic acid buildup? Is that what that is? No, I think it's actually like, Fluids. um, no, it's not lactic acid because lactic acid actually gets out pretty quickly, but it's some sort of um, fluids, from, <laughs> like waste fluids, you know, from muscle breakdown. Oh, just I see. Pooling in your legs. Yeah. And um, I was talking to one guy at work and he kept like, he was looking at me and he was looking at me. I go, what are you looking at my legs for? And he goes, dude, they're huge. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> So what did I do? I, anyway, I got to get compression socks. I don't know if you ride with those or you just put them on at night. But uh, Yeah, I, p- people do different things. I used to use them. I haven't used them in a long time. But when I was training for triathlons, I found that they helped me quite a bit just for whatever reason from like the different sports. It just felt like my calves would never recover um, and they seemed to help. But some people ride with them. Some people just wear them at night. Right. Um, I think they can, you just have to try them out and see what works for you. Yeah, I'm still learning. I'm pretty new. So I'm still learning all this We're all stuff. still learning. <laughs> yeah, you learn every <laughs> single every single time, right? You go out, you learn. And yeah. then, uh, yeah, I feel pretty good. And last night I met up with Dean Anderson and Ken Dalbertson. Uh-huh. And they happened to be an Invermere. So we kind of got together and, and uh, went for a little rip in some single track close to my house. And yeah, I feel good. Yeah, good. yeah, I was happy good. with that. Yeah, yeah. Kind of dealing good. with some political aftermath, though. Really? Yeah, there's some... Um, <clears throat> uh, one part of that uh, route goes up over Brewer Pass. So that was kind of the last leg I had. I had 100 kilometers on two passes to go over. They were just pushing, like just hike a bike. Yeah. But I met yeah. some um, very unfriendly hikers. And uh, yeah, they were super rude to me. And... Um, they kind of really dampened my spirits a little bit. Oh, uh, little what was of, their, what was their issue? Uh, just no bikes. They said, you shouldn't be in here. Like I, I, you know, I got out of the way. I'm pretty happy guy. I'm like, Hey, uh, how's it going? What a great day. Right. And I'm sleep deprived yeah. and emotional and just, right. and they're like, um, um, the first words out of their mouth was this is restricted use. And they kind of gave me the finger, like the held the finger up to me. And I'm like, I said, dude, have you ever heard of recreational supremacy? And I'm like, I'm, I've been, I'm not riding my bike in here. I'm pushing my bike up the side of a mountain <laughs> and I've been doing it for hundreds of kilometers. And it's like, I'm not having any impact up here at all. It's been going on for a number of years here in the Valley. Mm. Um, we're fairly, uh, um, I don't know what to say. I don't know. We're just, we're just kind of decades behind mm-hmm. kind of most other areas like, uh, yeah. like Revelstoke and, 
um, you know, the up in the Chilcotins, that's that's alpine riding, right? And people can ride there, but no one really complains about it. But there's something about this area. I don't know. It's it's kind of a bummer. But right after that, I met these three ladies who I saw at the bottom of the road before I started like the three hour push just to get to the to the trailhead. And they were like, oh, hey, you made it. You look great. And and the one I put a video on Instagram to check it out. But um, the, the one lady's like, would, would you like an apple? And I got, I got, I started to cry. I'm like, yeah, I want an apple. I want an apple so bad right now. <laughs> it's so just ego is just stripped, right? Oh, like, totally. That's I think totally. the most. I think that's the most beautiful part of the whole yeah. journey is just uh, stripping away all the, just stripping away all the bullshit and just yeah. just being out there and being yeah. vulnerable and. Uh, and uh, accepting kindness from strangers, which is really rad, right? People are yeah. so, a lot, most, 99% of the people are so kind. and uh, Right, yeah. yeah, and it's just kind of a relief, isn't it, to like, you can just let go of, yeah, just Everything. anything that doesn't serve you about yourself, you know, and just yeah. be who you really are. Yeah, yeah, so I... Yeah, it's it's only my second one I finished. I I don't know if I saw I was around you maybe briefly on the epic. I have no idea. You're super fast, mm. but um, but that was my the first one I finished, and that was uh that was tough. That was a tough one for me because uh, day one I wore my ass out like mm, wore yeah. out. Uh, my yeah. chamois wasn't fitting and just scrubbed me dry, like just scrubbed me. Just uh, that's so terrible. So this time I got to sell Anatomica, which I'm a huge fan of now, and I'm just wearing merino undies. And like 500K, no problems. A little bit of, you know, Good. folliculitis, you know, just you yeah. know, the normal stuff, but not like wearing skin off my body. Yeah. So that made yeah, it so much Yeah, that really more, takes the fun out of it. <laughs> yeah, it made it so much more pleasurable to, I mean, there's there's pre- hot spots, right, or whatever, but yeah. uh, there was no discomfort. Like I, I could, I, yeah, I could handle it. So yeah, yeah. I'm super stoked. Yeah. It, was, it was a fun, it was fun. Good. And I want to talk about your, uh, I want you to tell me about uh, young, young Janie. <laughs> so you, you have a you have quite a vast athletic background and uh kind of when did that start um well i guess um first of all is the audio okay because i'm outside and i can go inside you sound great there's a bird chirping and it's awesome okay all right i love it <laughs> um well i guess my first foray into athletics was when i was four years old and it was a rebellious stance. Um, I wanted to learn to ride a two-wheeled bike without training wheels. And my dad said that he would teach me when I was five. I wasn't five. So I guess I went to the dumpster in our apartment complex and found a bike <laughs> and taught myself how to ride it. <laughs> and then said, hey, dad, come and look at me. Oh, funny. <laughs> Stick it, dad. Check me out. <laughs> Um, and he was super supportive. Um, but so that's kind of like, uh, you know, the mythology of how I started riding a bike, but frankly, I really didn't get into endurance sports until I was, uh, my senior year of college. So I was 21 or 22. Um, and for whatever reason, I woke up one morning and I had this like, epiphany thought I should run a marathon (laughs) and I was not a runner and I didn't really do any I played tennis in high school but I really wasn't an athlete um 
And I just thought I should run a marathon for whatever reason. So I went uh, to a running store and I bought a book called How to Run a Marathon. (laughs) And I followed the plan. It said, the long run is the most important thing that you need to do. And you need to do that every week. And you need to start where you are. So, you know, pick a reasonable amount of mileage that you feel you can do comfortably. And then you just add mileage to that every week. So that was kind of the centerpiece of how to run, how to train for a marathon. So I was at my parents' house. It was a summer between my junior and senior year of college. And I went out onto this road called Columns Drive, which is just a straight uh, three-mile like asphalt in this fancy neighborhood, but it's got a, not very much traffic and a median in the middle. And I ran eight miles. I dragged myself through eight miles, I should say. And then I was like, okay, eight miles. That's where I start. So, um, I that's spent pretty six good. Miles. That's pretty good for a first run. Really? It was ridiculous. And like, I was shattered. Like, like 12k. It's, yeah, that's pretty it's, good. It's amazing that I did not get injured like my first <laughs> day of training because it was that was I should have started at one mile or two miles. Yeah, of course. But, um, you know, just had to always go big. <laughs> and uh, so I started as a runner. I loved I ran a marathon four or five months later. I loved it. Um, then I found out that there's like running groups and it can be social and you can meet people. So, um, I started running with other people and, um, that was a great experience. Then I got, uh, started doing triathlons. Um, and that was when I really started cycling. So that was probably, um, like 1999 or 2000. Um, I did my first uh, triathlon. So I just didn't know how to shift gears on a bike, <laughs> but I just put it in the hardest gear and rode it that way the whole time. It was a really hilly course outside of Austin, Texas, and then just limped through the <sighs> run because I was, my legs were completely trashed. <laughs> oh, yeah, no doubt. Um, and then, um, this, a uh, guy who became my future husband said to me, oh, well, if you like that sprint triathlon, you should do this half Ironman in two weeks. So Two weeks? I jumped in two <laughs> weeks. <laughs> so I was like, well, I don't really know. In the sprint triathlon, I had, had to use a noodle because um, I was a terrible swimmer. So oh, <laughs> I was really? like, well, I can't really swim. And you know, a half Ironman triathlon is like a 2K swim. So it's pretty long if you don't, if you're not a swimmer. Yeah. Um, but I kind of breaststroked and backstroked through that. And I did a half Ironman two weeks later. Then I was just hooked, basically. Like, I was just like, I love endurance sports of all kinds. So I did triathlon, like, pretty more and more competitively for about 10 years. Um, actually, more than that. Like, probably 13 or 14 years. And... Um, moved to Colorado about six years ago. And the year after I moved to Colorado, I saw Inspired to Ride. Ah, yeah. That um, got a lot of people D. inspired to ride, yeah. eh? Yeah. yeah. So that really, yeah, I was the same. Like I, Mike Dion came to screen the movie in Salida, which was fantastic because we don't even really have a movie theater. And um, it's a small, I live in a small town of only 5,000 people. 
but he came, he screened the movie and I had like, I, my hand was like at the director question and answer after the movie. I was like totally dominated the conversation and asked about <laughs> 20 questions. Finally, he was like, why don't you just come out and ride the race yourself? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I did nice. that in 2016 was, that was my first bike packing race was to do the transient bike race. And then, um, I did it again in 2017 and the last three or four years for me has mostly been co at least competition wise, um, all long distance cycling. Right. So, um, yeah, so that's been a great, it's been a great evolution for me. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I love the sport. It's fantastic. What did, how, how much time did you shave off in uh, 2017 on the Trans Am? Um, from was, the year before, yeah. I think it was three and a half days. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 So, so and that was really, that was my reason. That was my why for doing it the second time was, um, in 2016 was the year that Lael Wilcox won the race and, um, Sarah Hammond from Australia mm -hmm. had also been in that race and she had been she's leading the race in a while. Yeah. She's, she's fantastic. And it was my first bikepacking race and I didn't really have a concept that like you could go out and race one of these things. And the start in 2016 was, um, Nathan led the race out for about a five mile neutral start and then he peeled off. So we were just a group of about a hundred riders riding along. And I guess I thought nothing was going to happen when the neutral start was over. Cause it's a 4,000 mile race. Like yeah, what's going to happen? Yeah. And <laughs> he pulled off and I saw both Lael and Sarah just stood up on their pedals and cranked, wow. like just started hammering. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> I don't even understand. Like, how can you possibly do this? You yeah. know, it's a 4,000 mile race, but it really like, um, opened my eyes to the fact that it's, it's really racing, you know? And so I experimented with, I did a lot of like tons of bike packing rookie mistakes in my first Trans Am. I did all kinds of dumb things that just, you know, ended up like, I sh shot myself in the foot a lot of times, but I learned so much. And yeah. so when I was done with that, I really wanted to come back and say like, okay, take everything that I've learned. I hired a coach. Let me see what I can do. If I think about this with the mind of a racer, not just an adventurer, right. you know, really so, some time um, to it. Yeah. So that was a real satisfying experience and it was really cool to have done it two different ways, two different times. Yeah. That's amazing. It's, uh, to shave that much time off, you know, when I, when I finish the elephant, I look at my moving time, which was, I think less than two days, like 46 hours, but I was like, I was out there for 63 hours. I was like, where does the time go? I only slept five hours, but it's like 30 seconds, take the jacket off you know, five minutes, filter some water, blah, blah, blah. It just, you know, dicking around in your bags, trying to forget, find food or I don't know. It's, it's crazy how you just, you can chip away your time on these little yeah. things. You don't even realize it. You just have yeah. to stay on the, in the saddle and right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Um, I I'm, I'm really taking to that as well. I mean, I don't have the time or the the faculties to get a coach. So I'm kind of like OTC off the couch kind of guy, uh -huh. but I think I've always ridden bikes and, uh, I, I think I, I'm definitely more biologically suited to just 
going out and just dieseling all day. I can just mm-hmm. go all day and I don't seem to need a lot of sleep. And you learn that stuff about yourself when you push your yeah. limits like that. It's really fun. Yeah. Um, how was your epic experience? It was great. Yeah. I love that race. And um, yeah, I hope to go back and do it again. You know, when um, that was another race where I wasn't very fo- like that race was kind of like a um, it wasn't a last minute addition to my plans for the year, but it was kind of like a, at the, when I signed up, it wasn't like the highest priority because after doing the Trans Am two years, I was I really wanted to try to focus on some shorter gravel races meaning like one day races so i had kind of signed up for the bc epic on a whim um were you didn't evan talk you into it or something or was it the other uh, way around i think it was like there was probably a peer pressure (laughs) component to it and um and yeah it was just like oh this looks like an amazing course um you know what a great way to see bc um the timing for racing wasn't great for me because I had like, um, I had done like the U S national 12 hour road time trial. And then two weeks later gone and done dirty Kansas. And then I had like a couple of weeks, but not much time. And so I was kind of hope just kind of waiting to see what my mood was. But when I got to the BC Epic the first day, um, it, I would just really was like, I just didn't want to, kill myself yeah so I ended up I I mean I was in really good shape so I rode pretty well but I really was riding like 11 12 hour days you know and then I was drinking wine (laughs) (laughs) wow look where you are in the Okanagan in hotels you know (laughs) um so I think it would be fun once again to go back and do it like in a different way you know really maybe try to be in the mind frame to push myself a little bit more because the course is amazing and it kind of lends itself to that. I think for me, like that distance of about five, like a thousand K is easier to wrap my mind around than weeks of racing, you know? So yeah. So I'd love to go back and do it again. I think it's a well-designed course. It was a lot more challenging than I expected it to be just from looking at the profile and the really interesting, diverse set of surfaces. Oh, yeah. Too. I was all over the place. Yeah. yeah. I was really happy I rode a plus bike on that. It, it, mm. it was um, it was a bit slow, but I'm not really a contender, so I didn't care. But um, there was a lot of chunder, for sure. And I, I always yeah. noticed that when it got chundery, I'd pass all the two-inch tire folk. Yeah. And then, you know, when it opened up, it was flat. They would just, like, burn me, right? There's, I don't know if there's one good bike for anything. Yeah, you know, I know. Well, and especially a long, a long course like that, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it changes, right? So it's going to, what's good for one section is not going to be the best for another. So let's do it next year. I'm going to do it next yeah. year, I think. Yeah, okay. And Dean, okay. Dean's kind of talking to me. He's like, you really should try one single speed, Steve. You really have to try one. Because mm. I, I ride single speed on trail generally. And uh-huh. what, a, what an amazing training um, apparatus that is, I think. Um yeah. So he's like, yeah, you should, you should just try it. You should just try it. And actually I asked him a couple of years ago, what are your ratios? What do you run on that? And so I have all his ratios written down. So I was like, I'll have to go out and experiment. But uh, where do you live? I live in Invermere. So it's um, like about a two hour drive from Fernie from the, from okay. the finish. Okay. So, yeah. So you could go ride some sections of it and see if you like it on the single speed. I know I would. Yeah, I know yeah. I would. Just, just knowing the train I can manage on with one gear that uh, mm-hmm. I was I was in the bottom end of my cluster so much 
on the Epic. Like I, I should have had a 32 front mm-hmm. ring on that for sure. I was just running a 28, but I spent so mm-hmm. much time in the big gears mm-hmm. um, and standing because, it, you know, you ride single speed, you're used to kind of standing. So you just kind of get up and grind it out in a big gear. And so, but the lost elephant, I don't know, man, like that's, yeah, it's pretty burly for a single speed. Like Eric Ross is a beast. I can't believe mm-hmm. he did it. Like anyway. Yeah. So yeah, next year I'll see you there. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so that leads us into uh tour divide. Mm. So I've been reading your blog a little bit and uh, I, the word I detect, I almost detected a, a tone of almost ambivalence in it. Mm. Is that too harsh of a word to use? Nope. That's a great, that's actually, yeah, that's yeah. exactly the right word to and, use. And I don't mean it in a harsh, like psh, blase kind of, bah, but it's, it just seems like you weren't like, fully invested in in uh in racing you weren't you weren't having a good time like tell us about that yeah wow i mean um yeah this has been a big experience for me um kind of internally because um yeah there's like a failure component here Mm -hmm. you know like um and it's not something that i wanted to happen and it felt really gross (laughs) when it was when it was happening I I mean that was probably um now I'm saying this within the recognition that like we get to do these things because we're privileged and we choose to put ourselves in challenging situations but that said you know this is like the forum that I use to test myself and to learn about myself And I was really mentally suffering out there for at least seven days. And it was because of this ambivalence that you're talking about, you know, and um, for whatever reason, I think it's probably we we can talk about the reasons later if you want. But I, you know, I I just um, was not I didn't know why I was doing what I was doing. And I know from experience that. truly racing a race like this takes an incredible amount of mental focus and you have to want it so bad, (laughs) you know, to ride day after day, week after week for, you know, anywhere from like 13 to 18 hours a day. It just, you know, there are a handful of people who just love it and I really envy that. I'm not that person. Like, I don't actually, if you gave me, said, like, you can do anything in the world that you want to do, I would not go out and ride my bike for 15 hours. <laughs> I just wouldn't. Um, I find riding really satisfying. I love the training. I love the feeling of being on a bike. But for me to race a race like that that's that long, like, I have to just know exactly what I'm after usually it's not like to win, but to test myself in some way or to prove something to myself or to show myself that I can. And I just couldn't in this one, I just couldn't find that why. And I finally, I think I was so mentally exhausted from just searching for that, that I just ended up pulling the plug. Um, I really should have probably, if I knew then what I know now, um, which I didn't, I think I would have gone and toured that route and truly toured it like, you know, 
50 miles a day, 60 miles a day, something like that, because the route is deserves attention. It's so epic and just, yeah, it, it, I, at every turn, it's just incredible. Um, there's so much to see. There's so much to experience. So I think part of why I was having such a hard time was just kind of inner conflict and demons about like the the racing but also it was a conflict between what I was doing and what I was seeing so I was racing through these like beautiful places not stopping to take pictures mm. being pretty hard on myself mentally about not wasting time and it just felt a little antithetical to where I was and what I was seeing did did, did you go in with any uh, goals in mind yeah, I mean, so my stated goals were I wanted to finish. That was what I said, you know, was like my primary goal, which is kind of always yeah. the right goal, I think, in these kind of races. Um, and then, but my, what I had trained, the time goal that I had trained to, I was kind of looking at um, Lael's race time, which was right at about 17 days. Um, so I had made a plan that was kind of a 17 day, like, you know, day by day right. plan um, that I, you know, knew would change one way or the other in some ways. But I found out in 2017 after doing the Trans Am that I work actually work really well with a plan. Like, you know, if I know in the morning where I'm trying to get to and kind of what that will, what I think that will require time wise. Um, so I had that plan and, um, yeah, at the end of the first week, I was not very far off. I think I was maybe like 30 or 40 miles behind where I thought I needed to be, which is not that much at the end of seven days. So I was kind of on track and physically, I was absolutely capable of doing it. I mean, I felt great physically. This was a really weird one for me because my limitation in this case was not at all my physical capability my legs felt good my body was not complaining it was really in my mind so um yeah very interesting experience it's crazy how you beat yourself up you know that that um the the just the yin yang in your head of the negative self-talk and the and then trying did you did you finally reconcile kind of were you able to simmer it down to one thing that made it you know not mentally capable um, of you doing it no i think there were multiple factors um but i think if i had to boil it down to one thing it was probably that i couldn't find that why like That's frustrating. what do i what do i need to show myself or what do I need to find out? Um, and I didn't have an answer to that question. And in that case, I was just riding to race, which for me, just in this one, at least, it just didn't feel that satisfying. Nothing against racing um, or the race itself. It just was like not the right fit for me right now. Um, so... You know, when I quit, um, I felt okay about the decision because I was so mentally exhausted, but I didn't feel okay, if that makes sense. Like, hey. I, I wasn't. 
it, it still felt bad. It feel it, you're disappointed. You're probably just a little yeah. bit disappointed, and but con- you couldn't. I, and confused, honestly. Yeah. Like, you know, and I remained confused um, for a while. And now things are kind of starting to come into focus and I'm starting to understand what I learned from that experience. But it definitely, you know, one of the frustrating things for me is that I like to think of myself as a pretty adaptable person, but it like when that self negative self-talk started, it was so hard for me to reorient my brain to anything else. And that really was a wake up call for me because that's not just about bike racing, right? Like that's about life. Yeah. And, um, so that was a big, big learning for me to just see that so clearly in myself. Do you find your personality type to be high in neuroticism? Mm. (laughs) Do you you have that a lot? Do you have the negative self-talk a lot rattling around? Um, I do have negative self-talk. Is that too personal? Um, We don't have to get that personal. No, 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 that's fine. Because I'm crazy. Um, I'm so neurotic. I mean, I think from, (laughs) no, I think from talking, you know, because I, I've talked to a lot of people about this. That's one of my ways of processing. And, um, so I'm not sure if my self self talk, negative self talk is less or more than anyone else, but it gets going, you know, pretty Mm -hmm. easily and pretty inappropriately. You know, like sort of not, um, there's a, you know, I think we feel, uh, shame and embarrassment and like, we're not good enough for inappropriate reasons. They're lies. You tell yourself these lies and then some, for some reason you, you, uh, all, all it needs is one little hook and then suddenly you're believing it and then it's a spiral. It's yeah. just, and it's hard to, you need someone else to say, what's wrong with you? You're amazing. Like, look at all the things you've done. Like, right. that's, that's incredible. And I, and I don't want to need that. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I need to be able to do that for myself because mm. there won't always be somebody else who can tell me that. And, um, the other thing, the other really, you know, kind of lesson that I think maybe I was meant to learn was that. Um, so one thing I've tried to guard against is having my identity tied up with my performances as an athlete. Like I really love sports for just the sake of it. You know, I love the movement. I love the way it makes me feel. It's an incredible mental health tool. Um, it's a social, you know, experience for me in a lot of cases. There's so many reasons why, I just love it for the, its own sake. And I've really, I've always um, wanted to be careful that like m- my self-worth did not get tied up in like, if I win a race, oh, you know, because, um, you know, that's just not, I, I want my identity and myself to be a lot bigger than that. Um, but the fact that like I wasn't into this race and I wasn't really, I mean, I knew I wasn't racing to my potential because I just wasn't excited and enthusiastic about it. Um, really made me think like maybe more of my identity is tied up in this than I think. And that was, I think a good question for me to ask myself. And once again, something that's not just about, the tour divide. It's about 
you know, more life in general kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, so those are a couple, I think, hard things that I had to look at. But at the further that I get away from the experience, the more I'm seeing, like, there are things of value that I can take from it. That's awesome. I think it's a valuable conversation because a lot of the rhetoric I was reading about the Tour Divide this year, and I, I mean, it, I've kind of mentioned that it just seems like there's just trolls just poking, right? Just poking and, and being judgy. And people don't understand. One, some people are not involved in it, don't understand the um, the physicality of doing something mm-hmm. like that. Like the kind of athletes that are riding these these uh, long track endurance races are, they're elite, they're elite athletes. And uh, I think the other thing that people don't really understand is just the, the mental fortitude you have to have to be competitive, right? Like if you're not invested in it and you're not feeling it and you're not attaining your goals, um, tour it or scratch it. It's, it's just like, it's your choice. Right. And, um, yeah, you can't, don't be disappointed. Uh, Yeah. There's nothing to be disappointed about. I I don't, I don't think, cause you could have carried on, but then, you know, if you're going through so much mental anguish, it's like, why would I, why would you do that to yourself? Yeah. Right. right. Let's slow down, meet up with Jimmy. Let's ride a little bit, you know, let's just, just chill out and enjoy it. Because that's one thing that when I scratched on the AR 700 is I remember reaching out to Leonard and said, yeah, I just, I'm a bike packer, but I don't know if I'm a bike pack racer, but days later I signed up for another one. Right. When you start thinking about it, it's like, no, I can do this. I want to do this. Yeah. And it's all just that, that mental drive to, to want to do it. So don't be disappointed. Yeah. I mean, you know, you bring up another good point, which is kind of like a third really important thing that came out of this for me is, um, I guess just this, um, this lesson that things are not as simple as, um, push through no matter what, Mm. you know, winners never quit. Like, you know, we, we kind of like it, that it's all about being tough and pushing through. And sometimes it is like, sometimes that is what we need, but there's also a question of like, when is the right decision to quit? You know, and we don't have, we don't have as much practice with that because we don't practice it because we don't want to, because we don't like failure But it's, that is maybe, I mean, I would say (laughs) riding half of the tour divide this year in the state that I did was harder than riding the entire trans dam and doing, performing really well, you know, I mean, and so that made me think like, okay, there's a complicated life lesson here too. And we need to talk about this. Like we need to talk about the fact that it's not always about just getting to the finish. And it's not always about just, you know, you can do more than you think you can do. Those things are true. It's not that I don't want to take away from that. Those things are true, but there's more there to like, once you know that about yourself, what else is there, you know? Um, So for me, I can't help but thinking that like, so I, I don't actually feel any like need for redemption. Who knows? That may change. That could definitely change. But I've started to think that that was actually 
my finish line was like to learn that lesson, to have that experience of having to make the decision not to go to the finish because my situation was not that nothing external stopped me. I, it wasn't because I got sick. I did get sick, but I could have like many other people waited it out, gotten on the bike again. I wasn't injured. I could have gone on, but I decided not to. And it was the right decision and sure. I knew it. So it's, it's complicated. It is. We're so we're complicated creatures, right? And yeah. it's not just all about, we're just not robots. We just don't get yeah. on bikes and ride. Um, yeah, it's super insightful. And and that's that's a success, right? To learn something about yeah. yourself, which we're always, like you said at the beginning of the podcast, it's like we're always learning. And uh, that you saying that means a lot because you're fairly accomplished. And, um, you know, for a, for a new person to hear that, you know, um, it's it's so disappointing to when, when you when you quit, um, when I quit that one race. And I kind of vowed to myself that I'm never going to quit again. There's no reason for me to quit. You know, I, I could have... Um, people give you advice like uh, Greg Van Tyam was just like, no, no, you don't quit. Now you sleep and you make that decision tomorrow. Leonard Pretorius said the same thing mm -hmm. to, to me. It's just like, right. you know, don't be, I'm impulsive and I, uh, I have, I have deep problems with negative self-talk and uh, I always have to like make my bed before I head out on a tour, mm -hmm. like make sure that the family's okay with it. Cause I don't want to carry any resentment or any feelings of guilt, which, you know, is another thing I carry a lot of. I want to go out with a clear conscience and I don't want to think that I'm leaving people in a, in a bad place. So I almost have to kind of make sure everything's set up, you know, and then to feel good about it. But yeah, to learn something as insightful as you have is a success. That's a win for sure. Yeah. 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 And I think, um, you know, I, I, I have to say, like, I think if I had, if my top priority had been uh, finish at all costs, I might not have actually been able to learn what I did, which sounds kind of weird. But just to anyway, back to the, you know, sort of not being simplistic about things. And the beautiful thing about this kind of racing is everyone has their own journey, yeah. right? And we're all we all need to learn something different. And we all put ourselves in the context of a race for different reasons, you know, and it can change every time, yeah. you know? Um, so that's one thing I've learned about myself. Sometimes I feel like racing and sometimes I actually don't. And maybe I'm not even going to know until I get into it. And that's kind of a weird, scary feeling. But, you know, the other thing is what if failure wasn't bad? Like, what if we didn't associate failing or quitting with like an like uh, being an automatically bad thing? How would that change the way that we think about our lives? That's something that I've been pondering. Um, and it's probably impossible. <laughs> but um, but it's an interesting thought. Yeah. Um, I mean... I, I was having this conversation the other day with someone about um, just how these these uh, long track races can be actually quite unhealthy for you. Like you're pushing your body, it's you're pushing your biology into a place where it's not comfortable. You're pushing your mind into something that's into places that are dark. Uh, you're you're 
you're malnourished, you're um, sleep deprived, which is probably the, the key, the key thing. Do you think that maybe deep down inside you just need a break? Because you've had a pretty busy couple of years, right? <laughs> and I do think, I mean, that's the simple answer, right? Like, I'm burnout. <laughs> I think you might be covering the mic. Oh, okay. Is that awesome. okay? Perfect. Um, I mean, I think the simple, that is a, that is one um, simple answer. I don't mean simplistic, like I, but I think straightforward um, factor in what could have been going on for me, you know, is like, yeah, maybe I'm tired. Um that, you know, so that I think that definitely could have played into it because I think I realized while like on day three was I was pondering these things like I've raced, um, you know, 5,000 miles, 6,000 miles in the last three years. Like that's pretty much for me. Um, and so well, further than that with the Trans Ams in there. Oh yeah, so yeah, the tens, sorry. tens so of thousands. Like, yeah, so it would be probably ten thousand, ten thousand miles, yeah. twenty thousand k, something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, in the last three years, so and that's not even to mention the training. Yeah. You know that goes into this. So, um, yes, that is probably a factor. Um, but I think what you said is really important about, um being honest about the health consequences of, you know, these kind of activities, it's not healthy. Like I always tell people, if you want to be healthy, run a 10 K, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, or a fi- better, a five K walk it, you know, walk, like, walk a 10 K, right. <laughs> you know, the exercise 30 minutes a day, you know, not three hours, four hours. So, um, there's another thing that drives us beyond health and it's probably a good idea to do it sparingly. <laughs> yeah. I think of it more of as a uh, mental health exercise actually more than anything. Cause, uh, yeah, li- life is crazy and life can be either super crazy and stressful, or it can be ultra mundane and boring depending on where you are, what stage of life you're, what, what your job is. And, uh, I find it, um, for mental, it's just, it's an escape. It's the solitude, um, to, to be by yourself for hours and hours and hours, or to be by yourself in a very, very remote location at night in the dark, just remote. It it, um, it's good for your mental health. I think there's just too much chatter. There's so much chatter all the time. And, and, uh, and I think that's the attraction because, I've kind of laughed with some friends saying coming back from these races is like coming back from like, you know, being a Vietnam vet. You just like, mm-hmm. you're just like coming back to reality is hard. You yeah. know, you're used to a certain way of life, even albeit, you know, five days or a couple of weeks. And then suddenly it's like, boop, you're dropped back in the pool and you're expected to, you know, get up with your alarm every day at the same time and go to work and do the same thing every day. And, and, uh, I think it breaks that up. I think that's the addiction for it. Yeah. Well, and I think it can be a positive stimulus to look at your life, you know, and say, are there changes that I can make that don't make this feel like such a contrast or, you know, I mean, I think I would say that for me, that exercise was a big piece of my husband and I deciding to move 
from Washington, D.C., where we had like office jobs mm. to a small town in Colorado where we had a completely different lifestyle. I think we have both learned something um, that was, you know, maybe we learned it from being out there doing sports, competing, you know, having that time to kind of reflect um, that allowed us to say like, oh, wait, this kind of like day-to-day life that we have for ourselves is not really what we want for ourselves in the long term, you know? So I do think it's, I mean, it's really nice that doing sports can be a pressure release. You know, it can kind of be that pressure valve, um, but it can also kind of illuminate bigger things about your life as well. That's awesome. Um, But I I think you... Yeah, I think you said, um, I just wanted to pick up on something that you said earlier, which is, um, was about the uh, mental health piece and um, kind of back to this question, this idea of like knowing what your why is, like, why are you doing this racing? Um, I think something that my experience this year really taught me about myself is that I need to be a little more thoughtful about aligning where I am right now in my life, in my head with the racing that I'm choosing to do. So like I want to go in when I'm racing again, I want to go into it knowing what I'm trying to get out of it. Um, Like, am I trying to show myself I can finish this course? Am I trying to just have an experience of being out in the wilderness? Am I trying, is there a specific thing that I'm trying to test or learn? Um, so I think I will definitely, I, I think this, this experience really taught me that I both can and should be a little more thoughtful about that going forward. So it's probably just the benefit of experience. Yeah. Know? Just setting your intentions before you, yeah. before you start. Yeah. I think that's wise. Yeah. I have to put a lot of thought into not only just planning, but but yeah, the whys, the whys, because yeah. it's because you're you, you you're putting a lot out there when you're uh, when you're when you're racing and um yeah, awesome. Um, are you gonna do it again? Are you gonna try it again? I doubt it. No I way. Mean, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I like I said, I don't really have that. I never. Yeah, I didn't. I I mean, I'm I'm disappointed that I'm disappointed. I guess I'm not disappointed anymore now that I've talked about it. <laughs> I think I got I think I've gotten so much out of it that I'm yeah. not disappointed, but it felt really gross when I, it was happening, but at the same time even when I quit, I wasn't really that disappointed not to go to the finish. Like the finish to me felt kind of inconsequential by that time. And that's not I feel kind of bad saying that because that's not to take away from no. how important that can be and what an incredible accomplishment it is. I mean, that course is hard and to finish that race, no matter how long it takes you is just unbelievable. Like, you know, that's, it's a huge accomplishment. Um, but for me, I'm just not really feeling that draw yet, but that could change, yeah. you know? Um, but man, there's so many great bikepacking races yeah. now, you know, when I finished, when I, when I quit, I thought I, I was just so disillusioned by the whole thing that I thought, oh, maybe I'm just done racing. You know, I was being rather dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but of course that you know as some time goes by then you know i'm seeing oh you know other opportunities um but i do think i need to take some time for myself just to like not train to just enjoy being very um just doing what i want to do yeah do the short short track stuff for a while and yeah you know and then logistically, it's so much easier. That's the yeah. thing too—the planning to even get there, like to fly yourself to Banff, and you know, how are you going to get home? And it's like there's—it's exhausting to think about. Yeah. it. I might try it. I don't know. Tim Bulger reached out and said 2021 turn ride. I'm like, oh, I don't know, man. I turn—I turned 50 then, so it might be a good excuse to get out there and just try to to give it a go. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. It, that again, logistics. I have a family. It's—it's it's tough to get away for probably a month, right? All in yeah. all. Um, so yeah. Well, I feel I have an inkling to go for it. Um, do it. Yeah. Again, yeah. it's just the planning. It's just the planning yeah. and the timing of getting out there and, and, uh, cause again, it's a big, it would be a big commitment, not only for me, but for, for my wife and kids as well. I don't know, maybe you know, Hal Russell's doing it. He's like 70 years old. I've got lots of time. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. You might be covering the mic there. Sorry. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah, it's kind of windy. Okay. You know what? Let me just, I'm just going to walk inside while I'm okay. talking. Okay. Um, but. It's it, in some ways this kind of racing. I mean, all endurance racing favors age and experience. Right. So that's the good news for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, any short term? What, you, what else are you do in the summer? Um, just having fun. Just yeah. I've been on a couple. So one of the practical um, reasons that I had for uh, quitting was that I really wanted to enjoy my summer right. <laughs> and I knew what had happened after the trans am both times was I was just a wreck for yeah. months. Um, and so, and I mean, even I did this, uh, Iowa wind and rock 340 mile gravel race in April and it took weeks to recover. So, um, it took me, a f it did take me like two or three weeks even to recover from not completing the tour divide but i've already been on a couple bike packing trips so that's been a lot of fun nice. um yeah i'm running again which is really low maintenance and yeah. super nice <laughs> i wish i enjoyed um, running more <laughs> yeah it's it's really good if you enjoy it it's really fantastic because it's just so easy it doesn't take a lot of time it's you get the same endorphins but it's just much less hassle about everything mm -hmm. um so yeah, I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm just, I've got a few trips planned, but no more, I don't have any more racing, um, in my near term vision. That's good. You know, that's, yeah. it's good to have a plan even like that. Yeah. You know what, um, audio book I listened to when I was out there. What's that? Rich Roll's Finding Ultra. Have you read oh, it? Really? Oh really? Uh huh. Yeah. Oh I my have. God. Just unreal. I think, uh, just, just listening to the chapters about doing the Epic Five was just, it just blew my mind and, and the, and the, the, the mental suffering they went through and, and just the logistics of planning that stuff. It stressed me out a little bit, actually, <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't believe, have you met that guy? I haven't met no. him. No. Um, anyway, just amazing book. Um, yeah, I'm all about the audiobooks lately because they're yeah. hours long. 
hours yeah, and hours exactly. and hours. I find <laughs> I find music a little bit too grating after after a long time. Uh, yeah. What do you do down there? In, you're in Salida, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What yeah. do you do there? Uh, for work? Yeah. Um, I do uh, advocacy and communications work for nonprofit organizations. Oh, cool. So um, most of my, I have my own business doing that. So I work as a consultant mostly. And most of my clients are big international health nonprofits that are working in on health, like basic healthcare issues in very poor countries, mostly in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I do is all kinds of communications work for them, um, including like supporting local groups in those countries that are trying to convince their government officials to put more funding towards basic health care, like in rural areas, um, like maternal health care, vaccines, really basic stuff. So I help them figure out how to get more funding for healthcare um, or to get their policymakers to change policies to better support health. Um, yeah, so that's kind of been my gig the last few years. My husband and I lived in um, Malawi, Africa for two years. Oh, wow. Um, so that kind of brought me into that specific subsector of communications. But yeah, so I, I also work on other issues, environmental issues and um, gender issues, and oh, um, yeah, that's yeah. that's so a big topic in the in the United States right now. Yeah, is, uh, gender gender issues. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Uh, you yeah. have you heard of Jordan Peterson up in Canada? No. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Look him up. He's a bit controversial okay. in that area, but okay. he has a great book. I listened to his audiobook as well, 12 Rules for Life, but uh, I'm okay. not trying to advertise for him. But yeah, he, <laughs> he has he has a lot of interesting opinions around because he's a psychologist. And, okay. Uh, yeah, it goes deep on on gender issues. And uh, yeah, uh-huh. it's interesting. It's it's com- yeah. it's very complex. It's a very yeah. complex issue. It is. And um, yeah, I mean, we have gender issues in our sport, too, which I find really fascinating and yeah it's interesting to be a part of I mean I think the sport like many other sports and many other areas is changing um in hopefully ultimately a good way and that's kind of cool to be a part of that what's an example of that um well I just think like so when I first started doing this kind of like super long distance bike racing there were so few women like Mm. you know maybe it was it was almost always like you know, 5%, maybe less of the field. And I can tell like lining up for the tour divide this year was super cool because like the first day, I think I rode around five women, six women, um, which really isn't a lot percentage wise. Not out of like 170 riders. Yeah. There are a lot more dudes, but it was still really encouraging, you know, because I do think the face of the field is changing and, um, more women or I think it's an exposure issue. Mostly I, women are learning about it and then also realizing that like we're made for it in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, we're really, we can be really good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's cool to be a, a, a part of a sport too, where there's not always like male and female categories, you know, it's just racers. Yeah. That's a good um, point. Yeah. So yeah, I like that. I mean, and, and I hope that, I hope we can, yeah, continue to grow, to continue to grow that presence in the sport. Do you, you think, know, they're, they're, sorry, I was going to ask, do you, do you think that, um, 
that discouragement is is systemic or do you think there's a reason why more women aren't aren't attracted to the sport um i think there's a lot of fear Mm. um you know which i think guys probably have a lot of fear too but there might be less social pressure to give into that fear or to just accept it as as a reality you know, um, I mean, I can't tell you when I'm doing these races, how many people ask me, aren't you afraid? And it's not just women. I mean, yeah. men too, you shouldn't be out there, you know, and I'm thinking, are they asking the guys this, you know, I mean, first of all, I don't feel unsafe at all, but second of all, it's just, it's very, that is people's oftentimes immediate reaction is to go to the fear place, not are you having fun, you know, uh, yeah, or, of course. you know, even what place are you in? It's like, aren't you scared? Um, and then, so I, I do think there, I do think that that is a factor, um, for a lot of women. And it's just sort of like, a, it's just that extra deterrent that's unnecessary, but I do think it's there. Um, yeah. And then, you know, it's cycling can be a little, um, on the systemic thing, you know, I think a, a lot of women um, don't necessarily believe in their technical abilities. And, you know, cycling can be a pretty techie mechanical sport or it can seem that way. So that can be intimidating. Um, but, you know, there's really none of that's real. It's just, I, you know, ideas and social constructs. So, oh, yeah, I think none of it's, I, yeah. Uh, so I think once people can kind of get over that mental hurdle, then hopefully more and more women will start to, you know, see the, see themselves in it. Do you notice those questions about whether you're afraid or not? Are they coming from a certain generation of people? Do you think this is something that's going to dissolve over generations as, as women become um, more uh, encouraged to encourage is the wrong word. And it, just start participating more in these events? Do you think that? Yeah, I hope so. I I mean, I really hope so. You know, it's, um, but I, you know, I, I mean, this is not so much from bike racing, but just from having, I don't have any kids, but I have friends, you know, who have daughters. And I do think that, uh, you know, um, there's less, there, there's more, um, rhetoric about being able to do anything you want to do. Uh, but sometimes I wonder if the actions actually follow the rhetoric, because I do feel like we tend now to protect our kids in some ways Mm. more, um, even than like my childhood, you know, kids kind of don't have the same kind of freedoms to run around and Mm. play anywhere that they want. And, you know, they're quite protected. So, um, you know, that may not even be on gender lines. That's probably just, you know, kind of general people being just generally afraid of the world. Um, so I do hope that that changes over time. And like I said, I mean, I'm even in three years, I've seen an increase in, um, you know, there just seems to be a little more gender equity happening. So I hope the trend continues. I try really cognizant of that. And, and, you know, the nature versus nurture thing. I have, I have a daughter, she's four. And, uh, I, we don't encourage her to, to, to play with dolls or to like be cutesy with her stuffies or it's very, very innate to, uh, to, to f- her, to, to be mm-hmm. that way. 
and uh, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it's like, oh, I want to be a ballet dancer, and and which is great. I, I think dance is fantastic because you know the the athleticism. Uh, the movement, you know, the camaraderie and dance and whatnot. And I'm, I, I encourage that. But from time to time, she's, she'd be like, oh, look at that. Look at that person's doing it. It's like, you can totally do that, Sloan. You could, you could be a, a roboticist. You could be a scientist. You could, you could do whatever you want. And I support that. Like, I want her to do whatever she wants. And I, yeah. I really try, I really try not to, like, let her get dressed by herself. You know, just like put on whatever you want. And she always dresses like frilly dresses and stuff. And it's just, it's just innate to them yeah. to, to want that. They like pretty things and that's, that's cool. Right. But, um, right. yeah, I'm really trying to, to build her to be confident and or we, we both are, my wife and I are really very, you know, girls can do, they can do pretty much, they can do anything. They can do anything yeah, they want. Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, that, that's the more important thing, you know, is to send that message and. I was a little bit different, which was that, um, you know, I grew up in a, not so much a household, but like, you know, a school where things were pretty traditional and, mm. uh, very conservative. And I liked to hang out with the boys. Like I didn't, I didn't want to wear dresses. I didn't want to play with dolls. I wanted to be shooting hoops, you yeah. know, with the boys. And at some point, like around junior high, I realized that like, uh, boys don't like tomboys. <laughs> like, Some boys. you know, they don't, well, right. But this was like, <laughs> my situation was like, oh, the, like, you know, when I, I was attracted to boys, but then they just saw me as a friend, um, you know, quote unquote, just saw me as a friend. And that was like really a hard realization for me. Cause I felt like I had to make a choice, you know, do I be, an athlete or do I be a girl? And so I kind of retreated and I became a girl. And that's what I do hope that, you know, um, girls or boys or, you know, whatever gender people identify with, like that there's more freedom, like that people don't have to, there don't have to be those lines. And I do think in our sport, you know, one really positive development is these, um, like WTF groups for bike packing that are very gender inclusive and, you know, really trying to, you know, mirror what I think bike packing is, which is this kind of sport of freedom and self-expression. Commun um, so, community. Yeah. Community. Yeah, well. and, yeah. yeah. And so I think I see that as a really positive development and hopefully, you know, a game, a real game changer for the sport. Yeah, I'm trying to change that a lot with with this podcast is, you know, I, I reached out to you specifically because you're you're a badass, but also because I just want to I want to get more women's voices on here. And uh, and yeah, we're going to I'm going to do one about the BT 700 tomorrow with um, mm. with uh, Sarah, who won that. Awesome. Um, so I'm trying to get more women, uh, women's voices on this podcast. And it's not that I'm it's it's just there's more men around. Like you said, there's yeah. just more dudes available to talk to. And and yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, thank you for making that effort. I oh. know it's, I know it takes an effort, but I think, um, in the big picture, it's really important. Yeah. And so, you know, that's really, yeah, yeah, we, I see you as an ally in that, you know, <laughs> March for change. And, you know, we should have, this should be a progressive sport. Yeah. You know, we should be, um, 
pushing boundaries in a lot of different ways. And, you know, that was a little bit for me, like one of the hard things about, you know, you kind of alluded to earlier, this um, kind of negative talk chatter, you know, mostly on social media about the tour divide this year. But the thing that bothered me the most was like, it just felt so small. And I think this sport should be big. Like we should be, there should be room for many different viewpoints many different opinions, every different type of person. And um, yeah, so I think we just all have to kind of play our role in, in fighting for that. You know, going back a little bit to the, the, uh, the tomboy thing, I think that it's not the tomboy-esque-ness of a woman that a, a man's not attracted to. I think that some men are threatened by it. Mm. So like, um, you'd kick my ass in any race, and that's fine. <laughs> I, I would have no ego about that at all. Right. And, uh, it's because there's, there's badass women out there who are kicking ass on bikes in rally cars on snowboards. It's like, there's some talent out there. And, and I think you're seeing, I, I think it's, you're seeing more and more of it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think it's just men being stupid. Yeah. I mean, I, I have <laughs> to say threatened. like, I really, one of my goals is to see the day in my racing career where no one says to me, I just got chicked because oh, I've never so, heard that before. Oh, I mean, every race, like at some point when you pass a guy, they're going to say, Oh, I just got chicked. They'll say it and, out loud to you while you're yeah, passing oh, yeah. them. Yeah, absolutely. Oh God. I and, wonder. Mm, and yeah. a lot of people think of it as a compliment. And I yeah, think, I'm wondering what the sentiment is. Yeah, no, I think the sentiment is not cruel or mean. It's a little ashamed, though. And what I would like to, the reason why I don't want to hear that is because I want that, I want there to be no sense of shame because it's so normalized and there's just nothing different from a woman passing a man than a man passing a man, you know? Um you know, like I want to be like, oh, I just got duded you know? <laughs> and surprised by that. <laughs> you should just turn around and said, I'm chicking you. You're being, you've been chicked. And then you just take off. Right. It's always That's like, so weird. Well, do, doesn't this happen all the time? I mean, there's plenty of women who are faster than I am. <laughs> like, uh, why are you not used to this yet? <laughs> that just kind of disappoints me a little bit about the community. Like I just said, you know, community, we're all bike packers and we all love endurance racing and we just love being out there and it doesn't matter what you're, what, what you're equipped with. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I will say, I mean, that kind of attitude, at least the um, overtness of it happens more in more traditional bike racing, you know, but it, it's just a prevalent thing. And um, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> I, got, I did this photo shoot for, um, uh, for uh, Max's, it was for a photographer, but I ended up getting some photos in, in Max's Tires magazine. It was a couple of years back. But a couple of years ago, I rode with Lorraine, Lorraine Blanchard, mm -hmm. and uh, it was a fat bike. We went out and rode some fat bikes on some groom trails, and guys like snapping photos of it. And <laughs> she rips a bike to shreds, right? She's, and uh, she's a very, very talented. She's, she's a babe. And she shreds on a bike and uh, there's no shame in me saying that at all. She'd kick my ass on yeah. two wheels. And uh, yeah, it's so funny. There's, there's a lot of talent out there. So yeah, I'm hoping to yeah. get a lot of them on here. 
I'd like yeah. to get Alexander on here as well. I'll yeah, that hear, would be awesome. Hear her story and yeah, yeah. So uh, that's awesome. Yeah, she's got a great story too. Well, thanks for your time, Janie. It was really fun yeah. talking to you. It was really great fun. Talking I, to you. Too. I'm glad it got deep. I kind of wanted to get deep into the mental side of things, and because I think it is, it's important that that people hear it before they, you know, if they're if they're new as well and they're looking to get into it, and you've kind of given them a bit of a, a bit of a launch point, I think, especially for the women out there who want to try this stuff. And, yeah. and you absolutely, they, and you ladies out there should absolutely try bike packing or some sort of bike racing. There's lots of courses. If you're, if you're, if you're sketchy on, if your technical abilities aren't very good, take a course or yeah. just get a bunch of girls together and go for a ride and, and teach each other because yeah. it's just riding bikes. It's just fun. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you don't, you don't have to be good. You just need to want to have fun no because you end up walking <laughs> most of that stuff anyway on these races right yeah play it safe get to the finish line yeah, yeah. hey where yeah. can people find you online um you can find me on instagram at janie sees the world um facebook janie hayes and um my blog is jimmyandjanie.com a fantastic blog by the way Thank how, so you. how many days were you out there 15. Oh, 15 <laughs> days. You have to suffer through another <laughs> no, week so, or so. <laughs> oh, it's very well written. It's it, it was good. Yeah, it was a Thank fantastic you. blog. I can't wait to read it till the end. Thank you. Okay. I hey. appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's a pleasure talking to you. It was an honor. Yeah, it's great okay. talking to you too and good luck on your adventures. Janie Hayes. I hope you enjoyed that uh, chat. Um, I really enjoyed talking with her. Uh, I was hoping that we'd get really deep on some stuff and, and we really did. And uh, I so appreciate her um, sharing so much of herself with us. And uh, I think there's a lot to learn in this podcast. So um, I think I'm going to go back and listen to it again because I really enjoyed it. Um, What did I want to say? Oh, yeah, the overnighter. I didn't talk about the overnighter. So if you go to the summit, you have to go to the overnighter. You just got to go. It's super fun. Um, Casual. Just a little spin down to, I don't know, actually, I'm not going to say because I'm not sure exactly where it's going this year. Um, but all I know is that it's a blast and, um, it's a great group to go camping with and it's super fun. So, um, if you can fit it into your schedule, uh, I know we make a lot of sacrifices to come to the summit and, um, just, uh, try to fit it in, try to schedule it. Lots of time to schedule. So, uh, let's get her done. So I wanted to thank Janie again for her, uh, great chat. I want to thank, um, Tabitha Paul for her voice memo. If you want to send me voice memos, you can email them to bikepackcanadapodcast at gmail.com and uh, send them in and I'll get them on the show. Until next time, get out there, ride bikes, sleep in the woods, and keep the rubber side down.